yes, it's scary. Yes, it's serious. I'm not saying that it's not, but there's a lot of panic out there. And usually when you're in a situation like this, you know, it's when you get to the other side, you're probably going to feel like, yes, it was a serious situation. It was bad, but thank goodness it turned out not to be as bad as what it felt like going through it. And I think we're all going to feel that when we get on the other side as well. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's the Retire Smarter Podcast. Walter Storholt with Kevin Krosky. Once again here, Kevin's the president and wealth advisor at True Wealth Design, just in case you're new to the show this week. Serving you throughout Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield. You can find past episodes of the show and more information online at truewealthdesign.com. Well, a fun little update for folks. I don't know if it, the reason behind the fun update isn't that great, Kevin, but we are taking the show weekly uh, from here on out while we go through this coronavirus pandemic and situation, and we want to try and bring people the most up-to-date information as possible and weekly analysis of what's going on and how to look forward. So I'm excited to get to talk with you, Kevin, a little bit more often, but I do wish it was under better circumstances and for a different reason than what we're all going through right now. Uh, sure. I, uh, my sentiments exactly, Walter. Uh, obviously, we're going through a very serious situation, both uh, nationally as well globally uh, as a people, I suppose, uh, and uh, as it relates to us on a financial front. There's just a lot of things that are going on right now that we need to make sure that we make smart decisions, not react, uh, but that we have a plan in place and execute that plan. So, you know, I want to try to be a a voice of reason. Uh, I want to try to be uh, a voice of just clarity and and seeing it like we see it uh, and communicating that pro con good bad whatever it may be but then uh, even more importantly just really kind of taking it down to the retirement planning level and connecting the dots between what's going on with everybody's investments and what we need to be doing on a planning front this is we've been through 2008 you know, we've we've done that. Uh, I certainly didn't think we were going to be going through another crisis like this uh, so soon. Uh, but here we are, and here we find ourselves. And certainly, we're we're dusting off the 2008 playbook. And uh, the key is, we really need to get in action and help some people. We need to help our clients. We need to make sure that they're making smart decisions, staying on track. If we do need to take preventative action in any way that we're doing that, there's certainly a lot of things we'll talk about where we need to do on the portfolio front, maybe on the spending front for retirement. Uh, we're going to talk about all that. But uh, the key is that we really need to be reasonable people here, think with our heads, uh, not just run with our feet and and execute the plan. And, uh, you know, if you're a listener and you're tuning in, you don't have a plan. Well, you know, you're going to you're going to get a lot of examples on what a plan looks like and really how to execute it through a time of distress like this. So that's why I thought it was prudent to go weekly. We've think we've eclipsed about uh, 1500 downloads of the podcast per month. Uh, We've gotten a lot of good feedback from it. We've seen a big uh, uptick in listenership over the last couple of weeks as uh, the market has sold off and, and the world has gone into a bit of a panic. And uh, again, for all the reasons I described, I thought it was prudent to go weekly. And so here we are. 
Well, before we dive into the meat and potatoes and kind of a current standpoint, um, you know, recap of where we are right now, Kevin, just from a, a business standpoint, uh, what do operations look like for you right now? So if current clients or maybe it's somebody that's, you know, new to the show, wants to get in touch with you and talk about their plan or their situation, um, how are things shaping up for you guys as a business right now? Are you all working remotely? I know that you've spent time in between Florida and Ohio. Where's your home base during this uh, this whole ordeal? And, and how are you guys responding as a business to keep things rolling and giving that advice from kind of that technical standpoint? No, that's a great question, Walter. So uh, our main office is in Akron, Ohio. We own the building that we're in. Uh, we've been there since 2012. And Ohio is now, as uh, we record this, on let's say March 23rd, Monday, the governor, Mike DeWine, over the weekend uh, issued a shelter in place order. So all non-essential businesses basically are closed down. Uh, We, however, as a financial institution, as advisors, we do fall under the designation of uh, an essential service. Uh, So at the same time, we're kind of working through that today. Actually, we're looking at the different uh, workloads for everybody and everybody does have a laptop. There's a few people that didn't. We took care of that last week. We're, we're well prepared now. So while the majority of our team is in Northeast Ohio, uh, I am uh, down in Southwest Florida at this time. Uh, yes, the the place where you saw those, um, I'll say, not so smart spring breakers frolicking on the beach. Uh, in light were of the you pandemic. out there shooing them away? <laughs> no, we weren't on the beach. Uh, but yeah, we're, da- we're down here. So we're kind of... I guess diverse in our in our location, and and I do work out of the house when uh, when we are in Florida. So, you know, frankly, it really isn't all that different for me personally just yet, uh, just because I'm it's it's more of my natural state when I'm down here. So uh, for years, um, we've been personally doing the Florida thing for about five years now. So we've been running virtual meetings through Zoom, through GoToMeeting, uh, through uh, applications such as that for, for several years. And as we've had clients that have moved out of the state, uh, we've we've done that and accommodated them that way as well. So from an operational standpoint, frankly, it's not too different for us uh, what we're debating right now. And what I will decide by the end of the day is you know, maybe if we're going to kind of cycle our staff where there's, it's not like we have a huge staff. We have a team of of uh, six people currently. Uh, however, we may just go ahead and have maybe like two per day in the office, one up front and one in the back, just to maintain a little bit more distance, but still have some some people there. Um, we're reaching out to all of our clients to go ahead and anybody wants to reschedule their in-person meeting to be, um, be virtual, we're doing that. And frankly, we may institute that across the board. So kind of uh, end of the day decision here today. Um, with that being said, for anybody that doesn't need to reach us, everybody's up and mobile. All of our phones are VoIP phones, uh, voice over internet protocol. Uh, I can go ahead and unplug my phone and plug it into any internet connection or use an, an app on my mobile phone and plugged into our system. So so we have that. Um, all of our, uh, we've since our inception, we've been uh, paperless. So all of our files are uh, in the cloud backed up. Um, so I guess you could say we've, um, we're that kind of business where it's fairly easy to adapt for us. Certainly, I wish it was under better circumstances, but this is something that we actually have to go through every year as part of our business continuity plan. Now, generally things don't happen in Ohio. You don't have a hurricane coming through or something like that, but uh, nonetheless, uh, this is something that we have to do per the SEC and that we do have in place. So uh, and this is a little bit different, um, but in effect, it's not really gonna disrupt our operations. Everybody's gonna be able to work and continue on as they have. 
Great to hear, Kevin, and uh, glad that you've been proactive in adapting to the situation. Um, you know, before it became as boy real and expansive as it is now, and then uh, continue to you know uh, for the some unforeseen things being able to react appropriately as well. Uh, if you do want to get in touch with Kevin and the team at True Wealth Design, it's easy to do so. Eight five five T W D Plan is the number. That's eight five five eight nine three. 7526 and of course online truewealthdesign.com look for the are we right for you button and you can schedule a 15 minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the team again just click on the are we right for you button on truewealthdesign.com so kevin let's start with where we are now your read on the situation maybe that high level view of you know realizing that this could change 2 hours after we you know record today's show but in general where we stand in the economy and the stock market your feelings on uh, lessons we can learn so far sure yeah we'll we'll start there and then we'll go to i guess um what's next uh, at least as as i've read from health experts and and some of the things that are going on in the economy and and the markets uh so you know, certainly stocks have sold off quite a bit uh as we stand as of last week's close the s p 500 was down about 28 percent unbeknownst to probably a lot of people uh, when you actually look at bonds generally speaking people think bonds are going to hold up pretty well when stocks sell off you know, that was really the case until a couple of weeks ago, uh, and uh, bonds actually uh, didn't provide the shelter that uh, a lot of people, have, even high-quality bonds. So we're actually going to dive into that a little bit more here and talk about that. But obviously, things have sold off quite a bit. International uh, developed has sold off a little bit more. Maybe somewhat surprising to some people, uh, emerging markets have held up a tad bit better than uh, stocks here domestically. You know, even though those emerging markets. China, uh, Hong Kong, Singapore are places where the virus uh, originated from. Uh, so, you know, it's everything is uh, whenever risk is there and whenever there's uncertainty, everything sells off. And just like it did in 2008, and it's really it's happening now again. Um, it's not a failure of diversification. It's just a, a complete discounting of risk across the board. Uh, and there's also some liquidity concerns uh, that we'll get into as well. The point I want to make, though, if we go back to 2008, which uh, you know certainly in the in the recent past for and memories for most of the people that are tuning in here 2008 was inherently different at least to this point in time and i think it's going to remain different so 2008 was really a financial crisis it was fueled by real estate euphoria that had built up over a period of years coming out of the tech bubble it was exacerbated by you know cheap money and some reckless firms uh with the subprime uh mortgage crisis and what have you uh, and then when the bubble finally burst, real estate values fell by about 30% nationally. The finance and construction sectors were most impacted back in 2008. Certainly, uh, you know, the, the, the slowdown was quite significant and quite protracted as well. History generally shows us that these financial crises tend to be longer and deeper than a, a health shock like we're going through right now. Um, we'll see how that plays out, but that's at least what history has, has showed us so far. And where we're at right now, you know, obviously the pandemic has caused this crisis, not the bad actors, not the kind of sugar high that people had on real estate going through the 2000s until the bubble burst. So it, it's completely different. Certainly there are some, uh, there's been cheap money, um, certain sectors of the economy, particularly in corporate credit. Corporate credit has really expanded over the last several years. It has been a, an asset class in general that we have not been too fond of because of that. Uh, but going into this recession, 
consumers, U.S. consumers, frankly, had been in the best position that they had been in for about 40 years. When you looked at their debt to income ratios, had been very strong. Their savings rates had been very strong. Their level of home equity had been very strong. Uh, so that gives me some satisfaction and some positivity coming into this. Certainly, some of them are going to be able to weather it better than others. Um, but I don't think you're going to see the sort of home equity decline that we saw in 2008 and after. You know, down here in Southwest Florida, frankly, there's still some parts where the home values, you know, you were talking, you know, 12, maybe 15 years later, have not even got back to what they were at the peak, uh, which was eclipsed around 2005, 2006 uh, down here in Southwest Florida. So that's a long time for a house to be underwater. Um, and people feel that. People know that. People feel that. They see their home equity going away. Uh, for the average American, the home equity is the biggest asset that they have on their balance sheet. And so there's not only a very real financial impact from that, but also a very real psychological impact from seeing that vanish. I don't think that's going to happen here. See how this plays out. If anything, I would argue at this point, the home has certainly become more important. Walter, where are you working out of today? I'm in the dining room today. You're at your home, right? <laughs> at my home. And the home office is under construction a little bit, so I'm in the dining room of all places with my recording equipment. I kind of like the spot, though, Kevin. You know, We're going to talk about silver linings before we wrap up this whole podcast. A quick early one. I've got a great view of the fish tank. And so you know, I get, <laughs> I get to watch Sunkist you know, swim around his tank while listening to you and, and learning all sorts of great financial information. So it's kind of, a, <laughs> kind of a neat spot. Maybe I make this my office. I don't know. There you go. There you go. Uh, my point exactly. You're at your home home as are uh, many, many Americans right now. And if anything, uh, this pandemic is, I, I think, is going to put a, a resurgence on uh, on homes. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you actually see a, a trend over the last several years, at least stated by the millennials, which I know you, you're you a part of, Walter, but it's, um, you know, they didn't need a house. They didn't need a big house. They just wanted small space packed in with a lot of people. And unfortunately, when you have a pandemic like this, you know, when you're packed in with a lot of other people in small spaces, like in New York City, I mean, those are the places that are becoming most disproportionately affected. So we'll see. That's a little bit of a longer term, I guess, trend that I'll be curious to see how it plays out. But I think at least as we're we are here now, uh, you know, certainly the real estate market is going to freeze up for a while, but that doesn't mean that people are going to lose all their home equity. The prices hadn't escalated to a ridiculous level like they had through, you know, the 2000s until the bubble burst. So I think there's going to be some shock there, uh, but in general, I think it's going to be okay. Now, certainly some people are going to lose their homes, but um, we'll see when Congress finally gets their act together and passes something, there's probably going to be some sort of mortgage forbearance or there's going to be some help that's going to them. You know, there's probably going to be a couple iterations of these packages as well. I wouldn't be surprised, similar to what there were, was in 2008 and afterwards. So, you know, with where we're at now and the social distancing, um, social distancing uh, is really disproportionately affecting uh, as far as the sectors of the economy and of the investment markets. It's going towards leisure, towards hospitality retail and transportation. That sector employs twice the amount of people that finance and construction, which blew up in 2008, employs. However, it's less than half the earnings of finance and construction. So again, right now, everything is risk off. Everything is selling off. All stocks, um, virtually all companies, except for kind of a few that are really with the, the work from home sort of environment or what have you, and, and catering to that sort of consumer. Um, but everything is generally risk off right now. So the good thing is once there is some sort of state of normalcy back in the markets, not saying that things have to completely be solved, but when the panic and the panic selling is over and we're really kind of dealing with, well, how do we deal with the problem now? 
you know, less earnings are going to be impacted, um, at least from the most disproportionately affected sectors. Uh, kind of a corollary to this is, you know, the energy markets have certainly sold off a lot. They're down about 50%. That sector of the economy, that sector of the economy going into this is only about 3%. Um, so when you add up all of those sectors, we're still roughly about less than half or about half of what finance and construction uh, was in 2008. So certainly it's affecting more people. Certainly that's going to have some spillover effects, but at least as when you look at earnings from the S&P 500, that's what we're seeing right now. So that that is some, uh, <laughs> some relatively good news, I suppose, uh, for an investor once, you know, kind of the dust settles here. When you look at where we're at right now, nobody really knows we're in a state where, you know, obviously there's a ton of uncertainty. We're going to see how things are going to play out here. It seems like the U.S. is finally catching up in terms of its response. I think, uh, you know, you look at certain governors like DeWine in Ohio and uh, New York, and you have some really great leadership there. Uh, the federal response, I think, is, is pretty well known to be um, quite uh, apathetic, uh, but finally it's catching up. Um, so, you know, as that is coming online, we'll see how things play out. But you're coming, seeing at least some of the, the, the large Wall Street banks come out with their forecast. And, and again, you got to take a forecast even in good times with a heavy dose of grain of salt. But for discussion purposes, at least, uh, like Goldman Sachs came out with one. They said they see the GDP declining by 24% in the second quarter. Sounds scary. Sounds significant. It is. However, then they say, well, but we see it bouncing back up 12% in the third quarter and 10% in the fourth quarter. So there's a, a big uh, valley there, but then you kind of shoot back in terms of you know, a resumption of the economy. That's really been a stop uh, at a large degree for many, many sectors of the economy. Um, so, you know, could very well be flat or negative for the year. Uh, it could be significantly negative. We don't know yet, but... You know, when you look at like Goldman, they have what I just shared. Uh, JP Morgan had something similar, not down as much, but a similar bounce back in the third quarter and fourth quarter. We'll see. It's a developing situation. Nobody really knows. But the key is, you know, we are going to get better. We're going to get through this. Right now, we just have to make sure that hospitals don't get overrun uh, for capacity and for the ICU units and, and what have you, and more people die than what is really, uh, than have to, plain and simple. Another positive thing uh, I think is good to keep in mind, um, we're not individual stock pickers. The science certainly does not support that. Uh, however, if there's a group of people that have any um, ability, if you will, to go ahead and pick stocks, typically it's the corporate insiders. It's the CEOs, it's the CFOs of the company that have this insider knowledge that know what their opportunities look like, that know the business probably better than anybody else. And Walter, I'm happy to say, uh, very happy to say, as a matter of fact, that last week was the first week in about 10 years that the buys from these insiders, from the CEOs and the CFOs, was greater than the sales. And it was somewhere on the magnitude of about a billion dollars that these CEOs reached into their own pockets, and granted they have deep pockets, but reached into their own pockets and said, our company stock is cheap. I'm going to go ahead and put my money on the table and buy my own company stock because why would they do that, Walter? Because they think they're going to make money disproportionately going forward. So they're putting their money where their mouth is. They, they believe they're going to recover. Yeah. Not only recover, but, you know, recover, you know, they already have a lot of risk working for these companies. You know, they have a lot of risk. Their compensation is tied to it. I'm sure they have a lot of stock options already that is, 
you know, theoretically aligning their interests to growing the, the enterprise value of the company and aligning those interests. But now they're saying, you know, I'm going to double down on that. I'm going to take more money out of my own pocket, my liquid money, going through everything that we're going through and the rest of America that's going through. And I'm going to put my own money where my mouth is. And I'm going to go and buy it. And so those, and when you look at it academically, when you look at the research, really the corporate insiders, if, if they're buying, they can sell for many, many reasons. Again, they all have grants of stock and, and stock options and what have you. So they all own stock. But at times when they actually go in and buy stock like this, it tends to portend pretty well moving forward that the future returns are going to be pretty darn good. You saw the same sort of thing happen in December 2008. 2008, it peaked. Uh, the market then bottomed in March 2009, just a few months later. You saw a very high spike of buying in 2011 when the Greek debt crisis was going on and you had a technical default on American debt. Um, basically, Congress was doing what they do and fighting and couldn't agree on the deficit. And, and we had a technical default on the debt and America lost its AAA credit rating. Um, stocks sold off about 20% that year or so. And corporate insiders said, hey, <laughs> this looks like a good buying time. And guess what? They were right. And they were right in December 2018 as well. Not saying things can't get worse. Nobody has the crystal ball. Certainly, I would say there's probably a bias there. Uh, you know, it's their company. Uh, they're ahead of it. And they say, well, hey, you know, I have an influence over this, so I'm going to go ahead and, and do this. Uh, all that's true. Um, but the evidence would say that that tends to be a darn good sign when those corporate insiders are buying. And they've done it in spades last week more than a billion dollars out of their own pockets. So that makes me feel really, really good. Uh, we're getting some early peaks at some silver lining, so that's good to feel. I know that in times like these, Kevin, I always hear the mantra, as we've heard for many, many, many years, to limit risk, get out of stocks and into bonds. And I know that's a very simple way of saying that phrase. But, you know, we talked a lot about stocks here on the front end. What about the bond market and, and the bond situation through all of this? So in the bond market, it's been uh, one of my favorite sayings on Wall Street is uh, the, the bond investors are a lot smarter than the stock investors. And, and frankly, I pretty well believe that to be true. It just seems like it's a more rational market in a lot of regards uh, and tends to lead the thinking of the stock market in, in many ways and at many times. What's interesting is uh, over the last couple of weeks, really from about March 6th or March 7th, at the same time that you saw stocks selling off a lot, and some of those days were you know down four or five, you know maybe you know even north of ten percent one day, and you saw some bonds, high quality bonds, high quality bonds, not junk bonds, not like really high yield bonds, not really illiquid bonds, but you know triple A municipal bonds, double A municipal bonds. You saw you know investment high end investment grade corporate bonds. You selling off. You even saw in the last week. You even saw Treasury bonds selling off on days that the market was down five percent. Treasury bonds. Uh, I mean, you could have you know anywhere from like a thirty year U.S. Treasury bonds, or you could get all the way down to really short term, you know, say like thirteen week Treasury bills. And uh, you saw Treasury bonds in in aggregate sell off at the same time that stocks were selling off, and that just. I can't remember that even happening during 2008. Maybe it did, um, but I can't recall it. In fact, uh, when you look at what returns are, so I get, kind of give the, the, the economy perspective on the markets 2008 versus now. The thing that we had going for us uh, going into 2008 where interest rates were a lot higher. So when bonds rallied, um, they were 
going from a, like, I remember we had a lot of clients with like 5%, five year CDs that they took out in 2007 and carried for those five years. They were quite happy with them because rates went to zero uh, over the, the successive period. And then when the CD matured, they had to renew basically near zero. Um, but the fact that the interest rates started a lot higher when the rates fell, the bond returns that we received as investors were a lot higher than what they have been recently. Uh, so stocks go down similar amount to what they went down in 2008. Unfortunately, the bond portion of our portfolio just can't hold up as well because we're starting at a level of interest rates that is appreciably lower than where we were in 2007 when the great financial crisis started. So it's, I think it's something that people don't understand. Last couple of weeks, I mean, you just saw people, I mean, people were freaking out. You can, the panic is palpable. I'm not a gun person, but I've heard from some of my gun uh, older friends that you can't buy ammunition anywhere pretty much a good sign that people are freaking out on the same boat <laughs> same boat i've got the friends who do the guns <laughs> you know, and so and then over the last couple of weeks i mean people have been selling uh you know their high quality bonds at, at a discount just just seeking liquidity and not being uh, you know kind of price indiscriminate and just going to cash and uh, you know whenever you're in something like that so you're just kind of in this like tidal wave effect in a way rationality is like out the door and you just see this happening. And, and now you know, the Fed has certainly stepped in. I think one of the things that we can definitely take solace in, the Fed knows what to do. And the Fed has acted aggressively. And just this morning, they came out and they had a, like a $700 billion bond buying program that they previously announced. And now they basically said, hey, it's unlimited. We're going to do whatever the heck we have to do to maintain stability and liquidity in these markets. We're not going to let this pandemic become a financial crisis. We're going to step in and restore this. And, and they're doing exactly what they should be doing. Um, so if there's one thing that I think people can take solaces from, they know the playbook to play here and they're playing it very, very well. Now, Congress is finally, you know, maybe against their own will, they're going to come together on something. And I'm sure, you know, people in general aren't going to be happy with it, but they're going to get something that's going to be out there going to start helping, you know, the businesses start helping consumers. And there may even be a few iterations of this. So people are doing what they need to be doing to go ahead and address the issue. So I, I think that's important. We're actually going to talk about the bonds a lot more probably next week. That's so critical to understand. But you know, the key is you need to have some runway here. You know, you need to have some runway for your stocks that sold off. You don't want to sell stocks when they're down. You want to be able to rely on the more conservative parts of your portfolio to go ahead and provide the retirement income that you need. And so over the last couple of weeks, when you've seen high quality bonds sell off like that, uh, it's tough. I mean, you know, we've been working around and I've been selling, you know, the highest quality, most liquid bond fund that we have in the portfolio. And so we are, we're executing the playbook. We're having to kind of think, you know, uh, I don't want to say think differently, but frankly, I didn't expect to having to be do this within the bond portion of the portfolio. I expected to having to do this in the riskier parts of the portfolio, but uh, now we're having to do it in even the safer parts of the portfolio. So it, it's really important. We'll dive into this more next week. But if you're looking at your statements, frankly, this may be one of those times uh, you just don't want to look at the statements. You know, shred them. You know, just don't worry about it later. Um, but if you're looking at it, you know, you're, you're probably more apt to make another emotional decision, which you don't want to be doing. Uh, so we'll talk about bonds. We'll talk about uh, liquidity. We'll talk about runway. Way. This will all get into the retirement income planning discussion uh, that we'll have and um, a good episode to, to go back and listen to as well as episode 19, where we did 
retirement income planning, it was, I called it dynamic strategy. And when the market expectations are changing, your investment allocations or the recipe that you're using uh, for your investment mix, you know, needs to change uh, and maybe even having some dynamic spending, you know, maybe going ahead and cutting back uh, from your more discretionary goals that you have in your retirement plan. Well, guys and gals, it's it's a dynamic environment and then some. It's changing minute by minute and we'll see. The market could be completely different than when I got on the podcast recording here a short time ago. But I would encourage everybody to go back and listen to that. And then what we're going to be doing over some of the coming episodes is really kind of diving into that because I want to bring this clarity. It's like you, you don't know what's going to happen. We have a very uncertain future, but we have a playbook. We know what to do. So I want to connect those dots as much as possible. We're doing that for all of our clients. We've been very, very proactive in communicating to them. We're going to continue to be. That's another reason why we're doing this podcast on a weekly basis. Um, but I need to show them, hey, here's how we're going to get through this. I don't know exactly how bad it's going to be. I think we can all have a little bit of solace in knowing that generally something like this is going to be dealt with in a vaccine, maybe you know a year to year and a half in worst case. Um, certainly the, the markets are going to respond more favorably, more quickly. They're going to lead the economy because that's how markets are. They're forward looking. Um, but we're at least time bound, I think. Um, and if the Fed uh, and the global central banks are successful, which I think they will be, and not letting this be contaminated into a financial crisis, it's something that we can deal with and the playbook will certainly work with. So that's what we're going to get into. I guess the other thing that uh, I think is kind of positive and I guess falls under the what's next as well. I'm not a health expert. I'm not going to pretend to be one. Certainly been reading a ton and listening to a ton of health experts over the last several days. Um, but what the data shows coming out of Singapore, coming out of South Korea, coming out of China is that social distancing works. Ohio, for example, again, DeWine is taking a very, very strong leadership role in making some aggressive measures to go ahead and social distance and keep people in place and slow the rate of the increase in new cases. After the social distancing measures are implemented, what the evidence shows from those other countries that I just mentioned is that you will see us, not that you will stop seeing cases, but the growth, the growth rate of the cases is going to slow. And as uh, granted, the total number of cases is going to continue to get larger, but the growth rate is going to slow. And so as that growth rate is controlled, that's going to allow um, basically the capacity for the hospitals not to be overwhelmed. You know, the personal protective equipment uh, will continue to be restocked and, and brought back online. So our very valiant healthcare workers can go ahead and fight this and do it in a safe uh, manner. And then and you're already starting to see this last part, but you're starting to see people start talking. I'm seeing it on Twitter and other articles talking about, you know, hey, what's next after this growth rate slows? What are we going to do? And some very well-informed people are even asking about, hey, how, how aggressive do we really need to be in terms of shutting down the economy? Because that's certainly going to have a lot of additional effects. Um, certainly, we got to, it's better to be cautious. I completely agree with that in the situation. But some of the things that you're seeing from some of the healthcare experts is after you know, the capacity issue is really dealt with and the growth rate is slowed a little bit, well, maybe we don't need to go ahead and shelter and place everybody, but maybe more the, the high risk groups. And then we can start getting back to some normalcy. But it sounds like from uh, the experts that I'm reading and listening to that we can probably expect this to be with us for some time and you know, probably in waves. But if we have testing kits, if we can go ahead and do tracing once somebody tests is positive and we can identify these people and people can go ahead and quarantine and we have the capacity to treat them, well, I mean, we'll be able to control it. We'll be able to get through. And I fully expect that, you know, and I think all the experts are already saying this, but what you're seeing as far as the mortality rates 
and what have you, they tend to be very overstated just because there's a, a lack of good data coming out of a lot of countries and there's a lack of testing and there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic. So yes, it's scary. Yes, it's serious. I'm not saying that it's not, but there's a lot of panic out there. And usually when you're in a situation like this, you know, it's when you get to the other side, you're probably going to feel like, yes, it was a serious situation. It was bad, but thank goodness it turned out not to be as bad as what it felt like going through it. And I think we're all going to feel that when we get on the other side as well. There's a lot of uh, positivity that we can take from it, even though it doesn't seem like it in the moment. I mean, I think it's always wise to look for silver linings and things that we can, um, you know, kind of grasp in times of doubt and uncertainty. And, and that's certainly where we are right now. You know, and things as quickly as they changed going down, Kevin, they can change just that fast going back up. I mean, if if all of a sudden some of these experimental drugs start taking off again, we're not at medical experts and not going to go down that rabbit hole. But, you know, let's just say there's a drug that works really well, like the malaria things that they're testing and those kinds of things. And all of a sudden it starts really turning this whole thing around. I mean, the markets are going to react if not, as you said, it's kind of already baked in sometimes they're they're forward looking. You know, if that starts to get some traction, then you've got to then be careful on the other side of things that we don't miss the ride back up and not have your portfolio and your plan positioned properly to take advantage of the upswing and the return to normalcy. So you kind of have to guard it on multiple fronts, it seems. Completely. And and that's why it, it's so key. You're going to see this when the market's going to bounce back. I mean, we talked about this in the last episode about the perils of market timing, and it just doesn't work. A much more reliable way is to do what I've already alluded to and have this dynamic approach. The key is in the execution. You have the plan. We have the dynamic expectations. We have a dynamic investment mix. We may have to have dynamic spending if your plan isn't as well funded and we just want to play it a little closer to the vest. But now you know we have to go ahead and buy some time for stocks to rebound and use the safer assets in our allocation and spend those down first before we would go ahead and have to touch stocks. So it's a way more reliable approach. That's what you need to do. You don't want to go ahead and just certainly if you sold it and went to cash two weeks ago, you're feeling pretty darn good about yourself right now. But ask yourself, when are you going to get it back in? How are you going to know when to get back in? Guess what? You're going to feel scared and bad for quite some time. And by the time that it actually feels better, you're going to see a lot of the outsized returns have already have already been realized. Um, we had a lot of clients that we you know picked up over the years that cashed out uh, in their 401ks in 2008. And we started working with them in 2013, 2014, 2015. They sat in stable value for all those years. And the market sold off, started selling off in October 2007, went all the way down uh, to March uh, 9th, 2009, and then back up again. It took that complete cycle, tippity top, very bottom, back up to even again in about three years. And so you don't know when to get out. You don't know when to get back in. Certainly you may get lucky and I commend you if you do. But in my mind, luck is no way to go ahead and invest your hard-earned money. You need to have a good plan, and then you need to have the discipline and prudence in the playbook to go ahead and execute the plan. And that's what we're going to continue talking about. So with all of this going on, Kevin, I mean, what is, you know, I, mean, I know you live, eat, and, and breathe anything financial and markets. Uh, you can hear the passion in your voice over the last half hour just talking about this stuff. But I know it's got to wear you down a little bit. So what do you do to kind of keep your sanity as you're keeping up with all the changes and talking to clients and, and leading your team through this, uh, this whole ordeal? What do I do to keep up my sanity? Huh? Well, um, how much time do we have, Walter? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm good. 
let me let me just share a bit of gratitude for our clients. I mean, we work with about 200 families, and and we do our best to take great care of them. And frankly, this is this point in time is really when you know we have the opportunity to earn our stripes, and we really need to be good leaders and good financial advisors for them, and just be there for them at the same time too. And we reached out to mostly everybody last week. Uh, and we just got a lot of positive and frankly, it's almost like they were more worried about us in some way. Like, Oh, you guys got to be busy. You know, obviously a lot of my income is directly tied to the markets and certainly that, that has gone down. And at the same time, you got to work twice as hard and, and Hey, that's what I signed off for. And I'm happy to do it. And I know we're going to get through this, but I just appreciate it. And we, as a team really appreciate it. Just all the, the care and concern that our clients had for us and just put a real big smile on everybody's face. So for everybody that's listening, I know we, we said this one-to-one when we were speaking or, or via email when we shared that communication, but just really appreciate all the sentiment. Uh, but everybody's pulling together as a family. You know, we're, we're certainly spending a lot of time together as we, we generally do. Um, but, you know, in our neighborhood, we're, again, we're down in Florida, so it's it's warmer out and people are still walking the neighborhood. I mean, you can certainly maintain social distancing and, and walk the neighborhood uh, by just using your brain a little bit. But you're seeing all kinds of positive messages. Kids are writing on the sidewalk like we're all in this together. Um, you know, every storm brings a rainbow, things like that. And so just the positivity that I'm seeing, particularly in the younger people, is just putting a big smile on my face. And, you know, it's just reassuring. And my six-year-old was a little bit of scared. I mean, she's, you know, we're watching the news and, you know, she was worried what's going on and she's not in school. So she had questions, but messages like that and seeing the community pull together, frankly, has just been a phenomenal thing to see and a phenomenal lesson to share with our daughter. And we couldn't be happier to do that. That's good to hear. Yeah. Take the opportunity to, uh, you know, no matter how cliche it gets, I hope it gets reiterated so much that we get tired of hearing it, but, you know, look out for your neighbor, look out for the people that are around you and closest to you. Look for ways to help people out for sure. We're, uh, my wife and I are making a uh, pharmacy run this evening after the workday is over. And for everybody that's on our street, we have, we live in a very older street where the youngest folks uh, probably by a good 30 years on our street. So we're going to, we basically just been taking orders from everybody across the street and said, all right, we're making our run this afternoon. Who needs what from the pharmacy and picking up everybody's meds and refills and all those kinds of things. And we'll drop it off on the doorsteps. And, you know, I've heard so many stories of people doing those kinds of things. So yeah, look for the silver linings, look for the opportunities to help people. And hopefully this can uh, be one of those events that although it's unfortunate and, and sad and has some terrible elements to it, can also serve as a rallying point for us to uh, get a little closer with one another and, and help each other out. That would be certainly a good outcome. Yes, I com- Walter, I completely agree. One other thing I would say is, I don't want to say turn off the news. You certainly may want to, but I think there's a lot of good reporters with good intentions, with an accurate information that is just completely wrong in how they convey. I just saw something this morning uh, about how this uh, has already affected uh, more people than the 1918 pandemic. Like, okay, I think there's a few more people on this earth and in this country today than there were in 1918. Okay. Yeah. But just a lot of ridiculousness like that. And I see it constantly, even from supposedly well-informed people. So, you know, on one hand, you know, just tune it out as much as possible, focus on the things you can control and we'll get through this. Yeah. Stay informed enough so that you know of the, the official changes coming down the pike, but try and stay away from some of the more dire prognostications. You go to any news site right now and the first 34 headlines are all dire negativity. 
and it, it doesn't have to always be that negative. Uh, you know, the world is not going to completely melt down here, and we need to keep that perspective for sure. It's a great example, Kevin, to share. Uh, again, if you've got any questions for Kevin, you want to talk through your own plan, your own portfolio, how things are designed, how you're appropriated, what needs to change going forward from here. If you haven't ever taken a really deep look at the best way to plan for this, or if you're going through this crash and saying, boy, I really was not prepared for this kind of moment, uh, feel free to reach out to Kevin. Again, you can call 855-TWD-PLAN. They are staying in business. Uh, the trains will keep rolling, uh, running on time. Uh, you're going to be able to reach somebody and have a conversation and get some help here. We just might have to use technology to do it a little bit differently than normal. But 855-TWD-PLAN is the number. Or you can go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule a 15-minute introductory call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team. Just go to truewealthdesign.com and click on the Are We Right For You button. And you can find all that information as well in the show notes of today's episode. So whatever app you're listening on, you can go uh, just check the description of the show notes and we'll put all the relevant information that you need there. Kevin, thanks for the help and the insight. We'll be looking forward to talking to you each week as we go from here. All right. Thanks, Walter. Take care. Be safe. You do as well. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for being with us. We'll talk to you soon right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.